There's an election coming. It's been a long time coming, actually. Since Donald Trump announced his candidacy for the President of the United States of America on June 16, 2015, almost a year and a half ago, we've borne witness to one of the most insane media circuses since broadcast media was invented. Trump has said some horrific things throughout his campaign. At his campaign launch in June 2015, he actually said, When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're not sending you. They're not sending you. They're sending people that have lots of problems, and they're bringing those problems with us. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. And some, I assume, are good people. But I speak to border guards, and they tell us, what we're getting. And it only makes common sense. It only makes common sense. As for his opinion of Canada, Trump's criticized our healthcare system, saying many wealthy Canadians go to the U.S. for surgeries. He said he would scrap NAFTA. And he apparently tweeted last summer that the U.S. should never have given Canada its independence. Since Trump first hinted at his potential candidacy, we've heard a familiar refrain from concerned Americans. If he gets elected, I'm moving to Canada. And that's what we'll be talking about today. Join me as we pay a visit to an American expat living in Toronto on The Expats. Welcome to the Expats. I'm your host, Adam Rosenhardt, based out of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Kevin Bracken has had a long fascination with Canada. He's categorized the little differences between our two countries on a Tumblr called What's Different in Canada, and he turned the contents of that blog into a book you can download for free. And soon, he'll be a Canadian citizen. I was I was born in New York, and I lived there uh, until I was uh, until I was 18. Uh, now I'm a permanent resident in Canada and, uh, I should be, I mean, you know, fingers crossed, I should be a citizen in about two years, but I was born on Long Island. And, uh, you know, if you remember, if you remember 2003, this is something a lot of New Yorkers don't seem to remember about that time. Uh, in 2003, we were about to invade Iraq. And, uh, and so because of that, the newly minted, color alert system of the Department of Homeland Security, uh, it would have different color days. So, uh, you know, there was, uh, it was, New York was perpetually on orange alert, but occasionally, um, occasionally New York would be on red alert. And on those days, there were military police on the subway with machine guns. There were bomb sniffing dogs. There were metal detectors. There were constant announcements about terrorism. There were metal de- uh you know, all, all kinds of really, uh, really new things for New York City. Um, and uh, at the same time, they floated the idea that maybe there would be a draft for the war in Iraq. Oh, now, boy. I don't know, uh, so a lot of people seem to forget this, but I mean, there, there was a time when a draft seemed like a real possibility. And, and in polling, a small majority of Americans actually did support it. Really? So, oh, yeah. 
it was uh, you know it was obviously a deeply polarizing issue, but a very small majority did actually support the idea of a draft for Iraq. So at that moment, I said to myself, "Well, I'm not really okay with this." <laughs> Um, I led a I led a walkout against the war in my school. I, I created an underground newspaper uh, a, against the war and the war on terror. And really, I was just very disappointed by uh, by what I saw was happening to my country. And it sounds like you were a heck of a lot more than just a, a conscientious objector. Uh, definitely. Um, I mean, really, it was uh, you know it was it was like night and day too, and also in. You know, 9-11 happened, and really the response to it uh, by the Bush administration, it just made me wonder how anyone could possibly vote for Bush ever again. And so, uh, you know, when, when Chrétien said that Canada would not be entering the war in Iraq, that uh, kind of signaled to me, hey, this seems like a great time to learn about Canada. And so I, what, uh, what did you do to learn about Canada? What was your, what was your thinking at that point? You know, it's funny because I came up to Toronto, I... Um, you know, my, I, I believe it was, it was my friend's 17th birthday, and I thought that was a great excuse for us to go up and visit Toronto. And, uh, and we, came up here for, uh, we came up here for a couple of different concerts that were happening. And, you know, I just, I was so struck when I got here. Uh, there were two things that, that were happening at that moment. There was, um, I think they had temporarily suspended the marijuana laws in Ontario due to some kind of legal technicality. And so they called it the summer of pot. I mean, like you could buy, <laughs> buy weed anywhere. I think uh, just people just selling weed. It was you know like all over the street, and, no, and you couldn't do anything like that in New York. Uh, and then the other thing that had happened is they had just legalized uh, same-sex marriage in Ontario as well. I'm pretty sure it was the first province in Canada, followed shortly thereafter by BC. And I I had started the Gay Straight Alliance chapter in my high school, and so really, I mean, Toronto and and I instantly fell in love. I mean, it was just uh, it was to me it seemed like such a utopia compared to what I was accustomed to. But we were we were here and we were visiting Toronto, and uh, we got off the subway one night and we bumped into this woman, started talking because apparently it's cool to talk to strangers in Canada, <laughs> something I've never experienced in New York ever, and. Um, you know, we got to talking. I mentioned that we were American, and she said she was really drunk. She's like, "Oh, you Americans, what do you know about Canada? I bet you don't even know who the prime minister is." And uh, you know, I didn't. It was embarrassing because Jean Chrétien had been the prime minister at that point for nine years, and she's like, "Chrétien's been the prime minister for nine years. Everyone knows who George Bush is. A typical American." And she like kind of stormed off. So, <laughs> boy, you know, at that, at that moment, I. Uh, I, I became uh, kind of obsessed with learning as much as I could about Canada at that very moment, just because of how embarrassed I was in that moment. So after that, I decided I was only applying to Canadian schools. Uh, I applied to UBC and UVic and the University of Toronto. I got into U of T. And at U of T, if you want a degree in political science, they force you to study a great deal of Canadian history. Uh, and so kind of my shame from that single moment in Toronto, coupled with, uh, you know, my, my need to study Canadian history at university, I think, um, that really helped build my, uh, my, my thirst for sort of obsessively detailed knowledge about Canada. And it's not only the, uh, the political and historical stuff, but it's the, it's the little differences that, that oh, you seem to zero definitely. in on. Now you came to Canada because you were dissatisfied a little bit with, not a little bit, but you were supremely dissatisfied with the Bush administration. Yes. Um, you, you decided that this would be your adoptive country. 
Are, is history repeating right now? What's your What's your take on this election? Are, are we better or worse off than the George W. Bush election? You know, I have to say that uh, I do believe that um, that economically the United States seems uh, somewhat better off, and also there are there are far fewer uh, troops now engaged in in active combat. And honestly, I believe Iraq and Afghanistan are probably the last time. We'll even see that number of uh, of, of troop deployment for, uh, for really quite quite a while. I think the nature of warfare is changing too. However, um, you know the the country is is locked in a pretty deep battle for its soul. So if you were if you were in a, another country during the war in Iraq and during the Bush administration, um, I, I at that time I was ashamed to be American. When you would go and tell people in other countries that you are American, the very first thing they said was George Bush. And uh, and so I am afraid that no matter who wins the election, I mean, the fact that Donald Trump, be, you know, even got this dangerously close to winning the election means that the country really has a lot of healing to do when uh, when the election is over. I mean, really, um, Trump's name has become synonymous with uh, racial animosity and people in some parts of the country are even chanting the word Trump just to intimidate minorities. Uh, so even if, you know, even if Clinton does win, um, I think if she wins by a squeaker, it will be even, it, it'll be almost as bad as a, as a Trump election, because it means that there's really a lot of, a lot of progress to be made in, in this country in, sorry, in the United States that we didn't really think about. Yeah. Uh, if Clinton wins by a landslide, I think that will begin the healing process. Uh, and it will kind of let people know that actually, the Republicans have always been this uh, sort of um, weird and dangerous regression move. Um, but at the same time, I have skepticism about Clinton as well, because in this election, it, there is no anti-war candidate. Yeah. It is not possible to vote for a candidate who doesn't want to go to war. Yeah. Um, it simply doesn't exist. So, uh, you know, I actually, I, I vote in New York State when I vote by absentee ballot. Uh, so I actually voted for uh, I voted for Jill Stein for the the U.S. Green Party, not because I love Stein, um, but because if there is a third party that is strong in America in the future, I want it to be the Greens. Uh, but I voted Democrat down the rest of the ballot, uh, partly because on Long Island there are comically corrupt politicians that really ought to be out of office. But um, but uh, yeah, you know this election, I I find find the whole thing actually kind of depressing anyway because really. The only candidate that wanted to do anything in in the direction of Canada was Bernie Sanders. Yeah, um, you know he uh, really all he wanted to do was nudge America in the direction of policies that have worked in Canada and things that Canadians really love. You know, people have um, there are valid criticisms to be made about the national health care program here and the various provincial health care programs uh, under it, but honestly, most. Canadians are pretty darn satisfied with uh, with with how it works, and a lot of Canadians are pretty satisfied in the government, in the prime minister. I know, a lot, you know, progressives at this point feel like they may have been betrayed by Justin Trudeau, but in general, he has a he still enjoys very high popularity ratings, uh, and people just seem to feel good about the government. Uh, you know, a small majority of Canadians yeah seem to feel good about the government. Very few Americans. Uh, really agree with the direction that the government is moving in in the states. Yeah, I feel like any challenges we have here are aren't viewed as as really insurmountable, or um, in most cases, not in all cases, but they're not fundamental 
uh, problems. And, and one of the big things I see in the United States is this sort of fundamental question that's almost re-asking, like, what are we actually about? What, what do we want to be about for this sort of new future for the United States? And, and I guess thinking along those lines, you know, you've said if Trump wins, it'll be a disaster. If, if Clinton wins by, by a nose, it'll still be a disaster. Do you think, regardless of the outcome of this election, there will be uh, a lot of Americans or a handful of Americans who will try to make the move to come to Canada? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, I am in the unique position of hearing from a lot of them. And so I have been fielding so many questions, uh, especially since the, since the book came out, about people just asking me, like, hey, do you have an immigration lawyer? Like, I'm ready to go. Um and, uh, you know, I, I know that a lot of Americans made the threat to move to Canada if Bush were reelected, and I actually have not met any that did. Um, I definitely met a lot of Americans in my cohort at U of T, obviously. Um, but uh, I know that there must be a lot that did, because there's a million Americans in Canada, and American immigration to Canada is actually, I believe, one of the great untold stories of this country. Um, and, you know, obviously a, a number of them came during other times. I mean, there was no time greater than during the revolution, obviously, than Americans flooding into Canada. But um, I know that, you know, everyone that, that, that emails me, they, uh, they feel the same way. They, they seem to believe that, you know, you can stay and fight, but it could take decades to see some of the things that Canadians have, have enjoyed for a very long time. And these things are not, are not just like, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, it's, like uh, like abortion rights are not even a question here, and I, even the Conservative Party in Canada, I don't believe would even dream of privatizing uh, national healthcare. And these things have reverberations throughout every element of society. I mean, really, like uh, you know, if you look at like uh, even interpersonal trust levels, this is something I studied a great deal as a sociology student. Is that the level of interpersonal trust between people? is a real good indicator for all kinds of things. Um, you know, your belief that people are generally good, uh, self-reported victimization by crime, actual crime rates, the belief that you are safe in a place. Uh, and Canadians win on all those factors by huge margins uh, when it comes to just feeling good about society. So, um, you know, I think a lot of Americans that, that, uh, that message me wanting to move to Canada I, I believe that th these are the things that they're trying to, the benefits they're trying to reap. That here in Canada, it, it just, um, you know, people people want to feel good about their country. And this is a country that uh, that is, it's hard not to feel good about. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. And it's something we're not good at, uh, at bragging about, um, although the internet seems to have facilitated it a little bit more Canadian gloating about our lifestyle compared to that of the United States. But let, totally. let's switch gears and talk a little bit about that internet because it's where you've established yourself as one of these experts on the differences uh, between Canada and the U.S. and you've just released a book called What's Different in Canada that actually started as a Tumblr. So I'm curious to know, um, you know, what is different in Canada compared to your experience in the United States and why start a Tumblr about it? Sure, sure. So uh, to answer your second question first, I, um, over the course of my, over the course of the last decade plus, I've, uh, I've, I've definitely advocated that many of my friends do move to Canada um, and some of them have. One of them in particular was my very good friend, Dustin. So Dustin and I were working on a startup together. We started it in San Francisco. And um, so there have been times when I, when I have gone back to the States to work on various projects. Um, and 
This one was called uh, this one was called Speakeasy. It was an event uh, it was an event venue marketplace, and to to run it, it required a lot of travel. I mean, we were traveling back and forth all the time between New York, Toronto, San Francisco, trying to raise money, trying to run our company, trying to get new event venues on the platform. And you know, every time we went to Toronto, uh, my friend Dustin, he was just like, you know, I really like it here. Like everyone is really awesome. Your friends are really cool. Like everyone just seems to be having a great time just being Canadian. Um, and I, and he started thinking that, you know, maybe, uh, maybe he would consider moving to Toronto. So, uh, as, as part of that effort, I decided that, um, it was funny though, cause when I see Americans in Canada and they say they're sort of Americanisms, it becomes, it's so obvious to me. It's like a splinter in my mind. And so, um, so for Dustin specifically, I started just making a list of all these little things that were different. Um, and really starting off mostly with just the words that you use for things. Um, I mean, just like, you know, I think the very first thing I wrote down was probably like, oh yeah, a traffic cone is called a pylon in Canada. (laughs) And, uh, you know, he just thought that was like the most adorable thing. I don't know why. When I read that in your, in your book, I, it it didn't even occur to me that there would be a difference between the U S and Canada. Oh yeah, totally. And so really, you know, this is, um, this is so. This is actually a difference that you find in in foreign languages as well, and uh, and it's basically that the most commonly used words are typically the most different in different languages. But as you start to get to the polysyllabic words and the less uh, and the more obscure words, then you find that the words are essentially the same. Like in talking about the difference between like um, like a language like Spanish and Portuguese, they are incredibly similar, and to some. Um, Portuguese is intelligible to some Spanish speakers, actually, um, but uh, but it's it's not re- it's not reverse intelligible, which I have always thought is fascinating. I think linguistics is a really fascinating study myself too. But um, but there are uh, you know just like there there are all these minor things, and the reason that uh, I began the book with food, I think, is because the food ones seem to blow people's minds the most. <laughs> I don't I don't know why it is, but I mean really like. The fact that, um, I mean, even just the lack of certain foods in America that are such an important part of growing up in Canada just really shocks people. I mean, Tim Hortons is, is definitely the most obvious one. But, um, I mean, like, when, when, I, when I heard about, uh, like, Swish LA, I was like, okay, what's the big deal? It's like this, this thing. And people are like, no, dude, you don't understand. The chalet sauce is insane. <laughs> and, like, I mean, I've had chalet sauce. It's great, sure. Um, but the, the, the way that it just like provokes this almost religious reaction of people, it's, it's crazy. It's almost like, uh, a, it, as, as far as condiments go, it's almost like cilantro. You've got a faction of people that right. love it and another faction that think it's disgusting. Oh, totally. And yeah, there's also just kind of like all these funny British holdovers. Um, I mean, you'll find British style pubs in every Canadian city, but the fact that you can get vinegar packets in every Canadian fast food chain is just taken as a given, um, but in America, that's it's unheard of. Um, and uh, and so I started collecting these differences, and really, um, you know, by the number of people who would. Uh, so I started I started a Tumblr once I created a, a large list of these things for Dustin, um, and fortunately, you know, we, we got a we got a lot of press in the beginning, and the and the blog kind of grew organically from there. Today, there's a hundred thousand followers on the Tumblr. Wow. It grew really larger than my wildest expectations. I thought this was going to be like a fun project. Um, and a lot of people warned me. They're like, you know what? Honestly, you're probably going to run out of content at some point. And that, and that is true. I actually do feel like for, in the, the, scope, uh, the scope that I created for myself, 
I, I don't believe that a huge amount of material could ever really be forthcoming. But uh, so I'm willing to expand the scope in the future and maybe actually get into politics. Yeah. Uh, or do a really deep dive on Quebec and the Maritimes, because honestly, I think that there's there's a whole other book to be written just on the Maritimes and a whole other book on Quebec. You could have this sort of triad of the differences between Canada, the U.S. and those two other regions, really. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, really, that would have, I would also, I've, all, I've always wanted to spend more time in Quebec and in the Maritimes. And, uh, you know, I feel like just going there and being there. I've been to Montreal a bunch of times. I've never been to Quebec City. I've never been to the Maritimes. But fortunately, the blog got a national following pretty quickly. I mean, we, you know, there are people that follow the blog from all over the world, but, um, but really from pretty far-flung regions of Canada. And I've had a lot of people write me from the Arctic, which is great. I mean, there's only 35,000 people in Nunavut. There's 38,000 people in Yukon. Um, I can't recall to wit how many people in Northwest Territories, but it's kind of similar. Um, and we've had a lot of people from the territories write in and just tell me about all these different things um, that they experience in life. You know, from everything... For, I, the thing that they most frequently cite, though, is, uh, I mean, the insane food prices, right? Oh, yeah. So, but fortunately, w- because of this, I've been able to fill in a lot of my gaps in, uh, in knowledge about other parts of Canada, just from people writing in. And what I also thought was funny is you'll find that people sometimes will write in and they will be vehemently, vehemently opposed to something that I might have written. And it seems like everyone has their own theory about why Boxing Day is called Boxing Day. I mean, really, like, <laughs> since the book came out, I've heard like five different theories um, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure the two that I offer in the book are right. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I had some guy from Laval yesterday insist that it's actually, um, because people tend to fight over the best deals. I don't think that, I think that's kind of a new phenomenon. Yeah. That sounds like uh that sounds like post rationalization to me. Yeah, me too. But he said that in Quebec, uh, boxing day sales, uh, always have boxing gloves on the, on the images. So I don't know. <laughs> Uh, but uh, but, but I, I yeah I still think that the the, the versions I offered in the book are are correct. So uh, yeah, since starting the blog, I mean, I started it three years ago, and um, you know, I, I in March of this year it was Super Tuesday, right? And that was the the time when it seemed pretty clear that Trump was going to win the nomination. And I'm not going to lie, this was I unfathomable for me. Um, even the Clinton administration believed that they would be sorry the the Clinton campaign believe that they would be fighting Jeb Bush. And I actually thought it was going to be Jeb Bush too, or Ted Cruz maybe. Um, but you know what? I mean, Trump was always ahead in the polls. And I don't think there was ever a moment where he wasn't really. He was always ahead in the polls in the nomination. And when the reality really sunk in, I mean, that's when you saw all of these newspaper articles about there had been a spike in uh, searches related to moving to Canada. And I guess when I saw that news, it kind of like clicked in my mind, like, oh, yeah, like this is probably it's probably about time to wrap up my book. You know, I think that what what the blog has really become since I so, quote unquote, ran out of content is really just, uh, you know, memes and funny images, some original content, a lot of reposted stuff and really just like funny Canadian news. I don't like the. I don't know if you've been following the maple syrup heist. I have, yes. But, uh, yeah, so those guys are on trial now. Um, <laughs> they've been on trial, I think, for like ten days. But it's just like, I mean, it's just hilarious, right? So uh, you know, I so I, I I believe, like I said, I, I believe that the book, um, the book could grow a little more. Maybe I think it grow like twenty five percent more. But um, but honestly, until I get political, and I've kind of committed to not getting political because I really, you know, politics obviously it affects people's everyday lives quite a bit. 
the fact is you're the the person the mayor of your city affects your life in Canada just as much as the, who who the prime minister is yeah um you know honestly uh america i mean there's there's 50 states but a lot of it is ran out of washington and sort of the general feel of being in america is is pretty largely dictated by what's happening at the national level but um but in canada i mean you know actually this is i would say this is universally true actually like the who you know the time the trash is picked up to how wide the sidewalks are to whether you're taking a bus or a streetcar to get to work how much traffic there is you know how tall buildings can be what the city looks like what the parks are like these things are all decided at the city hall level they're not really decided you know at the at the national level uh, Justin Trudeau actually so I'll tell you what over last summer I campaigned for the NDP wow and um, I mean I'm not allowed to vote yet so I didn't vote for the NDP but um, I campaigned for the NDP pretty hard and in the process of canvassing um, you know the NDP's door-to-door mail delivery plan to, to keep uh, door-to-door mail delivery uh, with Canada Post made for some pretty interesting alliances. I can so imagine. even people who are fairly conservative, um, older people uh, that I spoke to, that normally would not support the NDP, they really wanted to keep door-to-door mail delivery. And and so I, you know, I had a number of people whose doors I knocked on, and they said, they said, oh yeah, like I love the NDP. I'm voting for Andrew Cash, who's our local, who was our local MP. And, um, but can you do something about these damn bike lanes on my street? <laughs> and I said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry about that. Uh, your MP doesn't really deal with bike lanes, but if you email Mike Layton, your counselor, then, you know, you can tell him how you feel about the bike lanes. And I just thought that was so funny because the prime minister obviously is not going to make like a national bike lane program. That's the kind of minutia though, that people, uh, you know, not, not a lot of people follow the ball game or they don't know how the sausage is made. It's it's true what they say then that all politics are local. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And so, uh, you know. Anyway, though, I mean, when the liberals won, though, I still I, I found myself in, in a unique place. Is that there's five parties in Canada, four for most parts of Canada, but no matter who wins, I feel like, you know, in some at some level, um, it's still possible to respect the prime minister. I, I didn't love Stephen Harper. Um, I didn't really respect a lot of the decisions he made either. But, uh, you know, at the same time, it's just like the prime minister, you kind of get the sense that they're always kind of doing what they feel is right. George Bush, on the other hand, kind of seemed like a cartoon villain. And <laughs> and he and his buddies were just like kind of, I don't know, you, you felt that behind the scenes, like just something really sinister was going on. Yeah. Part of the time I felt like the that Bush and, and his cabinet or his his advisors were playing out an action movie of some kind. I do have I do have one question though about about the book and the way that you decided to release it. Why mm. why make it free? Why not charge something for it? You know, I um I so I did a lot of uh, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about this and uh, I mean part of it actually comes down to just the fact that I'm working on a ton of other projects and I really have not had adequate time to uh, to work on marketing the book. Uh, and so really, I mean, you know, that, that reason is, is just, uh, is purely practical. Another reason is, is really, I mean, I want as many people to read it as possible. I would prefer that it has a wider readership than just making some money from it. Um, but the, the third reason is because I know a lot, I've gotten to know over the years, I've gotten to know a lot of authors. Um, I've spoken to them and I've had friends who work at, for publishing companies in, uh, in Canada and people take a very dim view about why anyone would even begin a book these days because, um, you know, it, advances are shrinking. 
It used to be pretty standard that if you were an unknown author, you could find somebody to give you a $10,000 advance and write a book. But then even after that, you're kind of largely responsible for marketing yourself. Um, but what, I, what I've found is this kind of new sort of author. I think the person that best exemplifies this is a guy named Nathan Barry. So my friend Dustin I was telling you about before, who I, who I started writing this content for in the first place, um, this guy Nathan was uh, Dustin's first boss. He lives in Boise, Idaho. And this guy, he wrote a book called Authority, which is about it's about how to write ebooks basically. And Nathan Barry was like, honestly, the you know, the best thing that comes from writing a book is not really money anymore. I mean, there was a time when you could make money selling books, and he does make money, but he takes a very dim view of it. And he says, really, the best thing that can come from writing a book these days is uh, is sort of cementing your uh, authority as an expert in the subject, and so that will lead to um, other things, uh, you know, if what you want is to be frequently quoted in newspapers about that subject, then writing a book is, is, a, is a great step in that direction. Or if you want to give talks about that subject, uh, in the future, then being an author of a topic is, uh, of, of a book in a certain topic is a great way to get there. And really what you want a book to be in 2016 is, is like a calling card. Um, you know, I could tell people that I am an expert in uh, in Canadian cultural differences. I don't know if anyone could really certify that, um, but you know, I I have something that's pretty close, which is I I wrote a book about it. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's something that I I love to talk about, and I find it to you know I I really believe that advocating for American immigration to Canada um, is going to make people's lives better. And so, yeah, I thought that was more important than just maybe making you know like a couple. I mean. How much money could you really make off a book? Maybe I'd say uh, three thousand people have uh, have downloaded the book in the last three days. Wow! I think that if it costs money, that probably would be like a few hundred, maybe. Yeah, I think you're you're probably right about that. It's it's an interesting strategy, an interesting approach to, I guess, rounding out your expertise. Like you said, mm. it's part of your resume now. Definitely. And so um, I just I couldn't really foresee making a ton of money from it. And then once you are making money from it, like you need to deliver like a certain uh, standard of quality. Uh, and I mean, it's not that I didn't believe that I could deliver it. And, and I, but I, I do take a great amount of pride in the projects that I work on. But I don't know, it was just never really about money in the first place. So um, yeah, I decided to just I wanted to make sure that as many people as possible could get their hands on it. You can download Kevin's book, What's Different in Canada, at whatsdifferentincanada.com and check out his Tumblr, too. That concludes this episode of The Expats. If there are any expats you think I should be speaking with, have them email me at info at expatspodcast.ca or send me an email yourself, and let's keep building this global network of Canadians living abroad. I've been your host, Adam Rosenhart. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to The Expats on the iTunes Music Store, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. Make sure you leave us a review. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch up again in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm.